0: The strangest was when his own face came up. It was surreal, watching his head go from side to side, a disapproving frown fixed firmly upon it. In a way, It was more poignant than the billions of other faces in the database. Who he'd be letting down most by opting for the large fry and soda was himself. He sat down at a table by the door and wondered if he was subconsciously trying to distance himself from the caloric meal. It was difficult to tell. Lucas J. Ramirez, a double cheeseburger combo, robotic voice chirped, and then chirped louder, upsized. On the table projected the face of a woman. She too was frowning and shaking her head. Lucas vaguely remembered seeing her in the database, but he saw so many faces. About 5,000 a day. He got up from the table and walked to the counter where his food sat waiting, freshly ejected from the kitchens. He picked up the tray and walked back with the woman still shaking her head at him. I get it, he mumbled to himself, reaching into his carton of fries. It was printed with a bold, dark X instead of the usual red and gold emblem of McDougal's burger bar. Anyone who upsized didn't get to see the bright yellow smiley face of Marty McDougal. Just the black X. Lucas was hungry, and he finished his meal, every crumb. But it was true that he didn't really need it. A small probably would have been just fine, but the smalls just seemed to get smaller and smaller after every election, and Lucas's appetite hadn't followed the trend. He finished his food and threw the wrappers into the trash can. The smiling face of a young twenty-something male beamed back at him over the blue receptacle because he had remembered to put his empty plastic cup into the recycling. He left the restaurant and walked to the intersection. An old woman frowned, and the crowd waited at the curb. When a toddler smiled, Lucas and the crowd crossed as the cars came to a stop. Most of the car's windows were opaque. Their users watching a movie or napping or sleeping or doing god knows what else. Lucas didn't understand people sometimes. Whenever he rode, he liked to make the windows clear and look out at the blur of people on the street. At least they were real, not like the faces that had come when you played the car stereo too loud. Of course, his tolerance for the citizens for society legislation was lower than most of the populace because he worked at Northrim Societal Conditioning Services, the main contractor of most of the government's face mapping work. He was one of over 400 regional overseers who ensured that the quality of the images taken from the mappers was up to snuff. There were intricate parameters that every image had to meet. A smile couldn't be too large, and a frown couldn't be too exaggerated. Everything had to look natural. A lot of people had the unfortunate habit of furrowing their eyebrows, like a toddler when the mappers told them to make a sad or upset face. Those had to be thrown right out. They looked ridiculous. That's mostly what Lucas Ramirez's day consisted of. Five straight hours of hitting bold, dark X's when someone furred their eyebrows. Back from lunch, Lucas sat down at his desk and began pressing the dark X's again. He felt a little indigestion, and he scolded himself for the hundredth time that day for upsizing his meal. He wanted to tell someone, to confide his darkness in another human being, but he didn't feel like anyone could relate. Frowning people never appeared over the desks of anyone else in the office, only the smiling ones. Sometimes they were even accompanied by streams of virtual confetti, Like when Chester, the RO across from him, made his monthly donation to the Whale Wellness Fund. Everyone would stand up from their desks and applaud. There was quite a supportive culture at Northrum. Great work, everyone, the boss, Mr. Keesler said at exactly three o'clock like he always did. It was the signal that work was done for the day. Lucas stood up and couldn't contain his smile. He waited with bated breath for the face, one of the few happy ones he regularly received, that would congratulate him for a job well done. He waited and, when it appeared, his heart beat fast and hard in his chest and sweat began to trickle down from the pores of his forehead. He struggled to see through the virtual streamers to see the woman who was smiling at him. He recognized the smile. Hey, who approved that woman? He shouted over the automated cheers booming over the loudspeakers. She's fine, Lucas. She's right within the five point limit, Gary from the desk alongside him said. No, that's not what I mean, Lucas replied. She's, and he hesitated, perfect. The cheers died abruptly, and the face disappeared. The lights went dark, and Lucas awoke from his stupor and hurried towards the door before he was left alone. When he got to the street, he was surprised to see that Mr. Keesler, Jerry, and the rest of his co-workers were gone, made a very hasty departure, probably into their car to the latest Vixen track blasting through their satellite stereos. Not loud enough to elicit a frowning face, though. Lucas didn't walk with the crowd. He stood in place and thought about the woman whose digital image he had just seen. It had been Samantha. He was sure of it. Samantha Frayne, The woman he had been engaged to back west for three years. The woman he hadn't seen in nine. His interest was more than passing amazement. The break had been what he called difficult, what the Mancanto police had filed as a domestic disturbance had gotten loud and a little violent mostly on samantha's part lucas had just done what anyone would have done facing a frying pan he had grabbed the back of his fiance's head and smashed it in center island a few times things had gotten out of hand if citizens for society had been in effect back then there would have been frowning faces for all the nine months he had spent in minnesota state prison samantha had served four their daughter anne had been taken to the transitory foster care system, under the care of Samantha's sister. Samantha was able to convince the board to return custody of Ann to her almost as soon as she got out, but it had taken Lucas months to convince them to give him visiting rights, and, even then, after one measly shouting match, they were permanently revoked. That was nine years ago. There was nothing he could do. He couldn't see Samantha or Anne again. He was on the block list. None of his searches showed her, and all of their personal information was hidden from him. But she couldn't hide her face. He found himself moving down the lift to the garage, but his mind was elsewhere. As it descended, he thought only of his channels, of the ways he could find out where Samantha lived. Annie would be twelve. He wondered what a twelve-year-old Annie looked like. She'd be too big to bounce on his knee like he'd done when she was a baby. Probably too big to find much fun in going to the public fishing pools, too. What did 12 year old Annie look like? He hadn't the slightest idea. On his ride home, he forgot to clear out the windows. He barely even noticed as the car descended down to the garage of his apartment building. He came to as the car shut off, and happy chime sounded, You have arrived. Afternoon, Chuck, he said to his cat as the door to his apartment opened. Chuck looked up at him with his yellow eyes and then scurried back behind the wall separating the kitchen from the dining room. As Lucas walked inside and went to the electric tea cuddle, Chuck peeked around the corner and stared at him. What? Lucas asked. Your bowl's full. You don't have to stare me down like that. Chuck's pink tongue flicked out behind his jaws and he disappeared behind the corner. Lucas sat down in front of the television and watched the public update hour that he had missed the previous night. The word Special Announcement flashed across the screen, and Citizen of the Day Ceremony played like it did every week, raining smiling faces and streamers down the Citizen that best encapsulated societal values that day. It was a woman. She looked to be about half Lucas's age. After the ceremony, it cut to William Gatry, who owned half the city in the apartment complex Lucas lived in. He had evidently started up a fund to clothe the city's homeless children that had earned him the biggest smiling face. The confetti fell down over the screen for what seemed like 20 minutes. Lucas had received a frowning face when he forgot to watch the update when it aired originally, but after sitting through the whole recorded hour, he got a smiling one. It was a woman, but it wasn't Samantha. Chinese again, Lucas? The autophone chirped. Sure, Lucas answered from the couch. Making the call now, It was only a few minutes before the doorbell rang. Things were getting faster every day. As Lucas got up from the couch and answered the door, he felt the slowest piece in the whole process. Place your order, the China Garden kitchen unit said before he had fully opened the door. Yeah, can I get a number four combo, he said. It was a sesame chicken platter. Would you like the lower sodium option? Lucas thought back to the burger he had upsized. Yeah, sure, he said. With a chime the unit projected the face of a smiling elderly man the confetti could have been more substantial though out of the slot slid a hot plate of china gardens number four combo lucas grabbed it and nodded politely to the unit whose compressors hummed in response he went back into his apartment and closed the door he could hear the kitchen unit wheeling its way down the hall he sat on the couch and ate while chuck crept out of his hiding place and stared at him begging lucas fed him bits of chicken but stopped when a frowning middle-aged man beamed into his living room and shook his head. He forgot that the animal wellness act had passed last week. Everything was moving so fast. The next day, while the chimes and faces faded in and out of Lucas's workday, his mind was on Annie. Maybe a mapper had already gotten to her. Maybe her face would be the one that came up next when Gary clocked back in from a punctual, exactly hour-long lunch break. Maybe, but probably not. So no one knows who that woman was yesterday? Lucas asked in the break room, hunched over his reduced fat turkey sandwich and salad. He needed to make up for the day before. What woman? Jackie asked. She was only eating a salad. It didn't even have cheese crumbles on it. The CSI at the end of work yesterday. Who knows? Was her answer. I don't even know how you remember what she looked like. They all blend together to me. Jerry said. I think I saw my aunt once, but I couldn't tell for sure. Well, I definitely recognize this woman. Neither of you remember approving her map? Lucas asked. How could we, Lucas? You know how many maps we approve. Plus the CS laws have been going for, what, 10 or 15 years now? There's a ton of backlog, Jerry answered. This was recent. Maybe a year or two at most. Samantha's hair was different. A lot was different from how he remembered her, but it was her. Still, Jerry said, you're talking millions of maps. Yeah, but, Lucas said, but then he trailed off. There wasn't anything more to say. It was millions of maps. Chinese again, Lucas? The autophone asked. Yeah, sure, he answered begrudgingly. He wasn't really in the mood for Chinese, but he didn't know what kind of mood he was in. It was a sour one, though. He kept thinking, millions of maps. He watched the public update hour right on cue this time, and received the smiling face of a boy who looked to be about four years old. Usually he'd be bolstered by the praise, but it only intensified the hopelessness of his plight. That young boy, along with millions of others, was hiding his family. When the fanfare sounded, signaling the end of the broadcast, he flipped to Enter T and watched how the world works with Pierce Bryant. It was a new one and pierce was explaining how important computer technologies were going to be as the world went into the next decade the sun set on the analog world long ago it is now nearly impossible to exist in the working world without a clear and educated understanding of ucl pierce said in his posh english accent walking alongside rows and rows of buzzing servers ucl stood for universal coding language lucas had picked that bit of knowledge up in passing With all the governments now agreed on a language for computers and coding, much of the lingering fat that has held scientific and technological progress back for decades is now falling away. He stopped walking, and the camera zoomed in. Anyone not abreast with the times will be left behind. Everything was moving so fast. Pierce walked through a large security door, flanked on both sides by men with automatic rifles. Here is the epicenter of the new world, he said. Motioning to an enormous stack of servers in the middle of the room, men in white lab coats buzzed around like flies. The first ever multi-searchable personnel database. Only this data space contains information on every person in the world. The camera focused on the humming server, and Lucas found himself inching closer to the screen. Updated constantly to ensure the accuracy of every death, birth, and change, What's referred to as simply the machine is an engineering and computing marvel that lies whirring and churning underneath the streets in the heart of the Dutch city of Amsterdam. It is regulated heavily by the UN, who give specific national agencies permission to use it, agencies like the United States FBI or Great Britain's National Crime Agency. Outside of these agencies and select others, the machine lies relatively dormant, under 24-hour guard every day of every year. Pierce was outside now walking along some waterway in Amsterdam. It's because of the machine and countless other powerful computing technologies that the world is falling into a technological age in which it is absolutely necessary that every man, woman, and child possess a working knowledge of UCL." He went on, but Lucas wasn't paying attention anymore. The public service bar flew across the bottom of the screen. "'Take free introductory classes to universal code language now,' it read, but he barely saw it. He was looking instead on his tablet searching the internet for signs of the machine. He licked his thumb when his first touch left a soy sauce stain on the tablet screen, but he soon found the Enterpedia entry on the machine in Amsterdam. He wasn't surprised to find that the page had been requested over two million times in the past half hour. How the World Worked was a hugely successful program, syndicated in virtually every country in the world due to the UN's Media Education Board. Evan sandwiched in with a dozen other programs that received enormous worldwide funding due to their educational potential. The shows only had to hire a certified UN consultant to be on set at all times. Most of the original directors quit. Lucas tried to take in what he was reading, but most of it went way over his head. What he was looking for was a link, and he found it at the bottom of the page. The link read, Public Tours. He wasn't a smart man, and he didn't pretend to be. But he did know that anything on the television, no matter how exclusive and secret they made it out to be, was monetized. That was a law as old as television itself. Everyone was out to make a buck. Even Northrum, which required the highest security clearance the government required of a private company, held bi-monthly tours. People paid to see the biggest imager firm in the business. Tickets were cheap in the winter. He was reaffirmed his thinking by following the link and seeing the bold dark words from 6.99 and up on the machine's webpage. The machine had far more security provisions in place in Northrum, Lucas discovered. For one, its tours were only monthly, and they also required a thorough background check, complete with a morality check. He hoped attempted battery wouldn't be enough to keep him from getting in, but it was seven years ago. Surely the charge had expired from his record by now, or at least diminished a little. He would just have to work hard to win tourism board's approval never eat anything too caloric, and be the best citizen he could be. There was only one way to find out, and so he typed his name and email address into the tour's waiting list. The next tour was three weeks away. A smiling woman erupted from his tablet and startled him as soon as he hit the enter button on the page. He wasn't sure why he was being praised. Had they passed the European tourism enhancement laws already? Lucas was on his best behavior. His salads were dry. His workout regimen was balanced and daily, and his work efficiency increased 160%. He had a past he had to bury under smiling, shimmering faces and virtual confetti. The tourism board had to approve his application for a tour of the machine. He could find Samantha and Ann then. He wasn't sure how, but he would. He would get his chance with the machine. He would, even if it meant sending all the smiling faces to hell even foment his existence would be forever pockmarked with frowns. He had a goal, something to live for. He couldn't remember the last time he had something like that. Days passed, then weeks, and the whirlwind of good moral behavior continued spinning wildly around him. It was too much to ignore. The change was so dramatic, so complete, that everyone he came in contact with noticed. But there was something different about him, too was strange how he never even glanced at the faces that crashed down in waves around him, a constant symbol of his good societal standing. His eyes were always fixed forward. He wasn't phased, but he was taken aback when the office of the president sent him a private message one night while he watched the public update. The Citizen of the Day ceremony had just ended. Congratulations, Lucas Ramirez, the floating head of President Delaroy said, smiling. You've been selected to receive the most prestigious award in all of the GU, the Golden Citizen's Medal." The shiny golden statue floated just inches from Lucas's face. He blinked, slowly. Your flight leaves tomorrow at 8 a.m. sharp. I can't wait to see you. As soon as the message ended, huge bold words flashed across his viewscreen, reading, Special Announcement. Lucas's face, a digital Lucas Ramirez face, jumped happily across the screen, smiling broadly. The announcer, the same one that did the public update, announced to the entire globe how proud they were, their newest golden citizen, but Lucas wasn't paying attention. He was looking at himself, his digital self, staring at the eyes. How they weren't as saggy or dull looking, and how his skin clung tightly to his skull instead of hanging loose and wrinkled. He wondered when he had sat for the map. It must have been years ago. It has to be soon, Lucas thought. It had been months already, and he still hadn't heard back from the tourism board. As he boarded the transport to the capital the next day, Lucas felt nothing but impatient anger. He was a golden citizen now, but he still hadn't received his travel permit. The tour was next week, for God's sake. It had to come in. He hoped there was someone in the capital he could bother about it. As the transport touched down on the pad outside the capital building, the idea had fermented in his mind. Mr. Ramirez, congratulations, a man in a dark suit said once the transport door had opened, helping him down the ramp onto the pad. Is there someone I can talk to about a travel permit? Lucas asked him. Oh, the man answered. Of course, of course. There'll be time for that. Let's get you checked in first. Lucas followed the man into the building. The walls were a blinding white and the only other colors were the skin tones of smiling faces that popped in and out of existence around the building's occupants. The man in the suit hit a button on the wall and ushered Lucas into a nearby lift. Which floor is tourism? Lucas asked. We're headed to the top, Lucas! The man replied. You're a golden citizen! It's a celebration! As soon as the lift doors opened, Lucas found himself in what looked like a dingy warehouse. The white and chrome of the building's lobby was gone just rotting wood paneling and flimsy plywood walls. People ran this way and that, each with an earpiece in their head and swiping furiously on their PUDs. A woman walked up to them. Not wearing that, right? She asked, looking first at Lucas before turning quickly to the well-dressed man next to him. No, put him in a gerani make, the man responded, before pushing Lucas lightly on the shoulder. Go with Miranda here. She got you suited up and ready to go. The woman, Miranda, smiled curtly and then walked hastily away. Lucas looked back to the man, but he was walking away too. Lucas followed Miranda into a small, closet-sized room. She took a suit off a hanger and held it up to him. This will do, she said. Take off your clothes. Lucas didn't want to undress in front of her, but it was obvious she wasn't paying attention. She was talking to her PUD, loudly, arguing with a man on the other end. No, no, Jessica's tomorrow, she said. Then who's today? The man on the other end asked. A guy, she said, before turning to Lucas and asking, What's your name? Lucas Ramirez, he answered. Did you hear that? The woman said to the man. When he was dressed, Lucas was ushered out of the closet and into a darkened hallway. Miranda left in a hurry, closing the door fast behind her. He was left alone. As his eyes adjusted, he realized there was a single door at the end of the hall. A red light flickered dimly above it, and a muffled voice echoed beyond. Lucas reached into his pocket and produced his PUD. He scanned his messages, refreshing over and over. A few coupons came in, advertisements for watches and shoes and clean techno-based alarm clocks, but there was nothing from the tourism board. With a crackle, the voice behind the door became clear emanating from an unseen speaker just above Lucas's head. He recognized it as the voice of President Delroy. Citizens of the GU, I give you our newest gold citizen, Lucas J. Ramirez. The door at the end of the hall shot open, sending blinding light through. Lucas squinted, trying to see, while two pairs of hands grabbed him on either arm, and he was carried toward the light and thrust through. He found himself on an enormous stage he immediately recognized it as the scene of the Nightly Citizen of the Day Award. Only now he was there, not just watching on his viewscreen. President Delroy outstretched his hand as the crowd, thousands of souls, cheered. Lucas couldn't see them. The lights were too bright. He was about to take the President's hand when he felt his pocket vibrate. It was a new message on his PUD. The crowd gasped and then grew silent as he reached into his pocket and withdrew it. He didn't notice them. He was too jittery, excited by both expectation and fear as he saw who the message was from. The Department of Tourism. The subject was, your request for travel. Mr. Ramirez, President Delroy said, laughing slightly, motioning to an attractive woman in sheer silver dress while a statue of a golden man raising his right hand in the traditional GU salute. We have your award right here. Lucas didn't see him. He didn't see the crowd or the award or the attractive woman. His eyes were fixed on the message from the Department of Tourism. It read simply, Because of your recent status as a gold citizen, your request for travel has been denied. You are greatly needed in the capital to stand as a shining example to the rest of our citizens. It is through your efforts that the global union is brought to further greatness. The DOT and the entire executive branch, as well as President Delroy himself, salute you, Mr. Ramirez. The gold man was thrust into his hands, and the room erupted with applause. The house lights went on after that, but it was difficult to discern which of the smiling faces were people and which were maps. There were so many of both. The hotel Lucas was put up in was nicer than anything he had ever stayed in before. Had 4,000 thread count sheets, room service on demand, free of charge, and a shower whose temperature could be adjusted to within a fraction of a degree. He sat on the couch, the gold man lying down on his face on the floor, and watched the public update. Halfway through, the Chenna Garden unit arrived at the door. He paused the program and ordered a number four combo. "'Congratulations, Mr. Ramirez,' the unit chirped. "'Just give me a number four, Lucas replied. "'Low sodium?' the unit asked. "'Sure,' he sighed. His food was dispensed, and a smiling face was emitted from the unit's ocular apparatus. Lucas dropped a sesame chicken all over the floor as his feet gave out from under him. As soon as she had come, she was gone. That had been Anne. Phantom Space Funhouse is produced by Nate Gutman and Kim Scharfenberger. The low sodium option will get you a smile. was written, composed, and read by Nate Gutman. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Phantom Space Pod, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps people find us. If you have questions or comments, or just want to chat, you can write to us at phantomspacefunhouse at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening.